Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. Coming up on Money Beat, we are going to dive deep into President Trump's tax proposal. What does it do? What doesn't it do? And what are the odds it's going to go through Congress? Our reporter Richard Rubin joins us from Washington. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat show. The markets this week have been buzzing about a lot of things. Uh, the latest thing they are buzzing about. Taxes. Yes. Taxes, Stephen Grosser. Every time we get taxes, and I'm talking about to making corporate tax cuts in Washington, the markets get a little bit excited. Th- this is probably this Although might yesterday be... wasn't so clear that they got excited. They got excited and then uh, on, they sort on of Wednesday, yeah. on Wednesday, yes. Yeah. Well th- th- this is probably the most evergreen topic there could possibly be. Everyone loves to talk about tax reform. Everyone loves to come up with a plan for tax reform. And what we have this week is the latest plan for tax reform from the Trump administration. To break it down this afternoon, what we have is Ben Eisen in the studio. Ben, how are you? Good. How are you, Paul? And from the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., Richard Rubin, Wall Street Journal reporter who was on Wednesday. A uh, busy man. Madcap day for Richard Rubin, right? Oh, like no other except all the others. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, let's start right from the top, Richard. What are sort of... Well, you know, what are the broadest brushstrokes that we've been given here? Is that what so, we, yeah, for corporate taxes. Yeah. So the way I outlined it in the in the journal this morning is it's heavy on ambition, light on detail and likely to increase deficits. And, and I think that's sort of the core of where we are. What the president did is reiterated key pieces of his uh, tax plan from his campaign. He said, we're going to take the corporate rate from 35 to 15. He said, we'll tax pass-through business income, uh, which is basically the way that LLCs and partnerships and S-corporations are taxed. And instead of taxing that at individual rates, we'll tax that at 15. Mm-hmm. And then he, he made one change on the business side that's that did, hasn't gotten a ton of attention, but it's important, which is uh, switching from a worldwide system to a territorial system. And he hadn't said this during the campaign. What that means is going forward that U.S. companies would not have to pay or pay very little taxes on their foreign profits. Uh, And that's something that a lot of big companies think GE, think uh, United Technologies, think all the tech firms uh, have really been asking for. And so so that's the core of it. What we haven't seen uh, on the business side are the messy details, what tax breaks might go away, what happens to capital expenses and depreciation, what happens to the ability to deduct interest, the plan is silent on the border adjustment proposal that's been uh, uh, put out there by House Republicans. So there's a lot of pieces out there that are unknown. This really was an outline, and we've got a uh, month-long slog uh, one might say, uh, of getting this thing written into legislative form, meshed with where Republicans are in Congress, and then uh, getting it to comply with all the weird congressional rules. We've heard, you know, uh, having covered a lot of the inversion deals and, you know, over the last few years, and just listening to CEOs on conference calls and um, them complain about the U.S. tax regime. How does this sort of get uh, bring the U.S. tax regime more in line or more competitive globally? So 
in that respect, the rate matters. Uh, the rate isn't everything, but it matters a lot. So if companies are inverting because they uh, or ship booking profits abroad so they can pay the Irish rate of 12 and a half or some negotiated rate far below that instead of 35 in the U.S., then going to 15 helps with that a lot. It reduces the incentive, the delta, the juice to do a lot of that. And so does the territorial piece of this. Um, you know, it says, look, you know, you're, you're going to pay taxes where... Uh, you earn the profits, and right now U.S. companies can't do that. So you, one of the things, the benefits of an inversion has been for companies to go find a foreign address and all the future profits then get taxed under that company system or that country system. And most other countries, the the U.K. in particular and Ireland, or not Ireland, the U.K. in particular, uh, have adopted that kind of territorial system. What we don't know, and the administration recognizes this is an issue, is what happened is what other rules backstop that because because it's still possible to get really really low like single digit tax rates in some of these countries you need rules in place to prevent companies from u.s companies from taking profits that are american profits and making them look like foreign profits and there's a whole industry of tax right. specialists who do that um and so those base erosion rules anti-base erosion rules will have to get written uh and the administration is silent on that you know, you know, one thing that uh, was interesting just watching the market um, on Wednesday as as the tax uh, reform was sort of the, the proposals were being announced. I mean, you had the market sort of not really reactive at first and then sort of at the end of the day, it kind of tailed downward, ended a bit lower. And, you know, a lot of investors said kind of show me something more. I mean, a lot of what had what came out on Wednesday had you know already been talked about uh, in, in the press previously. And, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, it was light on details. I mean, is that is that is there more than meets the eye here or is it um, is there something that we can kind of read into more than kind of the one page that was sort of being talked about yesterday? Um, so, yes and no. I, I think that they clearly have thought about this. You know, the White House staff and the Treasury staff have thought about this more than one page. Um, that that was pretty clear, but it was also clear that the president was looking for something to say about taxes and as he wraps up the end of his first hundred days. And so they wanted to have something out there. And so it may well be the case that they were working on something much more thorough, much more detailed. And this is sort of the, uh, table of contents of that. Uh, so, so I would take it from that, that there, there is more there, more coming. Um, but look, the other th reason you may not see market reaction because maybe the market has started to recognize that this is a longer term project. The the timeline for this, you know, for a while you had Treasury, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin talking about uh, August, August as a right. plausible goal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now they're saying, well, sometime this year, like we're not going to worry so much about the month, but about sometime in 2017. So once we start seeing bills come out of the house starts or come get introduced in the house that are full bills that are really thought out uh that have all the detail you need in them uh, then maybe you'll start seeing some more reaction and, and companies too will be able to process it better they'll you know we have a, a great story up on our site that teo francis and i did that uh he did most of it so that's why i can call it great is uh <laughs> is that looks at the trade-offs that are coming that companies you know companies love the rate cuts and they love the territorial and they love all the goodies uh, but eventually there's going to be some cap some fiscal limit that's going to constrain mm -hmm. how much congress can can give to companies and then you'll have companies 
uh, sort of fight because they'll have some companies care about you know the rates more than the retailers for example they care a lot about the rate because they don't have a lot of breaks so they care about that there are companies that are research intensive that really focus on the r&d tax credit there are companies that care a lot about the interest deduction and they're going to fixate on that even to the exclusion of caring about the rate so we have that corporate fight is sort of looming out there as you got different sectors and companies within sectors trying to go after each other and what the white house did has not accelerated the inevitable reckoning of that. Yeah, let's uh, let's take a break on that point. There's a lot more to talk about. We will come back just a moment with uh, Richard Rubin from the Wall Street Journal's DC Bureau. This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years. A lot has changed, but one thing that remains constant, including the different types of durable income in portfolios, can help investors meet their goals. With expertise across income and alternatives, Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit Nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. For more insights, enable the Wall Street Journal skill on any device with Amazon Alexa. Get all of our podcasts as well as the latest news and market updates. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser, Ben Eisen here in New York, and Richard Rubin in D.C. We're talking about the Trump administration's proposed tax reform plan. And Richard, you had started talking about, you know, sort of the what people generally call, I guess, the, the sausage making process. And there's one aspect of that I wanted to talk to you about, which is the fact that, this, you know, and I, look, we all understand that all we've gotten here are some very broad brushstrokes. But one of those broad brushstrokes, and you mentioned it at the very beginning, will increase the deficit, will increase deficits pretty significantly. And that should be a pretty big no-no. And the the only way that they've been able to say it won't increase the deficits is by talking about something called dynamic scoring can you kind of get into that a little bit and explain to us how this thing could possibly go off and not create a, a larger problem with the debt? Okay, so dynamic scoring is the idea that tax cuts can create growth and thus generate additional uh, income and thus generate additional tax revenue and pay for them, well, and partially pay for themselves. So the general economist take on this would be, look, it's wrong to say that big tax cuts will have no effect. Um, but we can't be all that certain of the effect and tax cuts don't pay for themselves. Uh, so, you know, and you've seen the White House kind of take a bunch right. of different positions on that here. So that's where I sort of land on it uh, as a general matter. Now, you can, under the current congressional rules, include that effect, but it's going to be scored by the nonpartisan Joint Committee on Taxation. They are conservative, not like Republican conservative, but they're just conservative about how much benefit how much of a gain they're going to score for that mm -hmm. uh, so so that's out there and, and you may be able to pay for some of the tax cut with that but probably not all of it then th there's sort of a political piece and a procedural piece that come in when you look at this politically you know we've all listened to republicans talk for the entire obama administration about how bad the debt is and how uh you know washington really needs to deal with that and how bad budget deficits are and so a plan that increases those deficits, even with dynamic scoring, is going to be a problem, maybe not for some Republicans, but 
it certainly will be a problem for some, and their margins are just not that big, uh, you know, in order for them to lose a lot of people. So this will be a moment where we'll we'll get to see exactly how hawkish, undeficits and debt Republicans really are. And then procedurally, there's what's known as reconciliation. And so you can tune out for just a minute if you don't want to be a congressional nerd, but it matters. Um, No, no, no one's going to tune out. Okay, don't tune out. Don't tune out. Don't, don't, don't. Okay, so... To pass something through the Senate on a party line vote without, you know, sort of go around the filibuster, you have to do it through what's known as reconciliation. That means that, among other things, outside the budget window, which is typically 10 years, it can't increase deficits. So that's why the Bush tax cuts, for example, expired at the end uh, of that period Mm -hmm. uh, when they were passed and then or were set to expire. And then Congress had to extend them permanently uh, or most of them permanently. So that constraint is out there, and that's going to mean that you know they, they might look at scaling back the rate cuts, including more limits on deductions, maybe making some of these breaks temporary. And this is like, you know, uh, four by four Rubik's Cube operated by a team, um, you know, trying to make <laughs> right. the pieces of this thing all fit within the scoring metrics so that it complies with those rules. And we're, you know, look, I'm sure the House Ways and Means Committee staff is pretty far along in thinking through that and working through the scores, but we've seen none of that publicly yet. Uh, And so it's going to take several iterations uh, before we can really have a sense of how well they can comply. And then even if they can, they've got, like I said, these really narrow margins. You lose three Republican senators, say you, you know irritate wheat farmers or you irritate uh, Walmart or, yeah. you know, like the, or you irritate, you know, I don't know, the dairy industry or, you know, right. whatever, somebody, like and there somebody, are thou- there are like thousands of somebody's out there. Right. There right. are thousands of somebody's and only three of them have to like, uh, you know, get their senators to, to back them yeah. um, right, to, right. to blow this whole thing up. And I think I, mean, I think that raises an interesting question. I mean, I, I think. Um, when White House officials were talking yesterday, they were really kind of emphasizing the fact that they want the tax code to be simpler, uh, easier to understand. But, you know, once you go through all of the sort of wrangling in Congress over this, is it actually possible to make the tax code simpler? Uh, or, or is it, you know, what does it end up looking like? So, yes, it is possible to make it simpler. Let's, and the business side is, go- is going to be complicated. Um for a few reasons. But look, there are some things that don't make the tax code much simpler. Reducing the number of brackets from seven to three, like, that doesn't do anything. It's a, you, if you have a spreadsheet or a calculator or TurboTax, you, that doesn't really do anything. It. It, it doesn't. It doesn't right. make the tax code simpler. But you hear them talk about that. It doesn't do much. There are, for example, though, multiple definitions of what it means to be a child for child tax credit versus dependent exemptions versus child care tax credit, simplifying and unifying those, that would be simpler. The alternative minimum tax is a parallel tax system. Right. Getting rid of that has some costs and some cons, but for simplicity's sake, it would be there. So why is there complexity in the tax code, both on the business and individual side? Look, there's complexity because um, the world is complicated, right? Like you oil wells are, you know, how do you capitalize them? How do you, right? You have to think about that. Um, the world is complicated and, and there's complexity in the tax code because Congress has put it there because of political pressure, because they've decided not, you know, you can make it a case of nefarious lobbying, but you can also make it a case where like the people's elected representatives have listened to the people who matter to them and decided they want to add breaks for solar energy or whatever. And then the third reason it's complicated is because people cheat, okay? Like, you, you, 
if you had simple rules, people would find ways around them. So a lot of the complexity in the code, you know, for the for the nerds out there, section 409A, section 469, like it, all sorts of stuff is in the tax code because people play games if you don't put it in there. So, you know, you can clean that out, but all you're doing is reopening loopholes that Congress has found and closed. One of the questions, you know, as we this goes forward is how does this compare to the plan that Paul Ryan, you know, has sort of put forward? So Ryan said on Wednesday that they're 80 percent agreed and 20 percent not. Uh, you can quibble with that. Uh, there's some big differences. The, Trump is lower on rates, bigger on deficits. He's um, uh, doesn't have the border adjustment provision in there. Uh, so there's some real key issues they have to figure out. There's some areas where they've come together. So on the individual side, Trump is now in favor of repealing the state and local tax deduction. I have a whole story that just posted this afternoon on Thursday about that. So uh, I urge you to check that out. It'll be in Friday's paper. And and then, you know, so, and they agree roughly on where the individual rates should be. Uh, they agree on repealing the estate tax. So they're uh, in agreement on a lot of the parameters, but not all of them. And then... Once you've got kind of agreement on those parameters, then you start getting into the details of, um, you know, and, and at some point the White House is going to have to go to the Hill and say, OK, provision A, we're fine with that. Provision B, we're fine with that. C and D, we don't care about. E and F are a giant problem uh, and, and, and work through those. With the border adjustment, where does uh, can we talk a little bit more about where that stands? Because that's drawing, obviously, a lot of headlines this year. So I. I'm not calling it dead because, you know, Paul Ryan decides what goes on the House floor. So, you know, to the extent that he's still for this and thinks it should be a core element, he says it needs to be modified. But to the extent that he thinks it's a core element of what a tax plan should have, you have to not declare it dead. But it's got giant opposition from retailers, virtually no support in the Senate. You could use the phrase life support or whatever. But, you know, it's – they're still – you know, the – Ryan and Kevin Brady, who's the House Ways and Means chairman, are working on modifications, transition rules. You may see a hearing on this in the House in the next week or two uh, to try and flesh out some of these uh, questions. Um, And so it's not dead, but it's uh, severely wounded. So that raises the question because this was, you know, obviously talked a lot about as paying for the tax cuts. How do we pay for the tax cuts if you don't want to, you know, extend the deficit greatly? Uh, you can't see me, but I'm shrugging. Uh, <laughs> look, but here's there's two pieces in that. One is the border adjustment is a big pay for uh, revenue raiser. It's about a trillion dollars because essentially because it taxes imports and exempts exports. That yeah. operates like a tax on the trade deficit. So that's a trillion dollars. But the second thing is that it itself is a big base erosion piece because it basically says like we're not going to care where you're def- where you're defining where your profits are which is a very malleable thing especially for income generated from patents and trademarks and other intellectual property we're just going to look at where your consumers are and and that is is the core anti-base erosion measure that's in Ryan's plan and it's like as you talked about before it's something that the Trump outline is silent on so the replacement for border adjustment when one emerges will have to deal with not just the revenue, but that other structural piece. And not to complicate this even more, but... No, complicate it, complicate it. Say we do get the, a, a viable health care bill, because there seems to be some chatter about that this week. Um, what, <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what happens if you overlay that on top of it? Do you 
Uh, does that send everybody back to the drawing board? Does all of a sudden it just becomes easier to uh, create something that doesn't increase the deficit? Uh, you know, how, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, it, it helps. Getting that done helps the health bill for two reasons. One, it, you know, from the Republican perspective, success begets success. So if they're actually able to legislate something successfully and get it across the finish line that will then they will then have shown themselves that they are capable of doing that which will then give them confidence uh to go forward and try and try the same or similar model uh, Mm -hmm. on the taxing the second thing is that the health care bill they're talking about is a giant tax cut and it's not paid for with tax increases or limits on deductions it's paid for with spending cuts largely on medicaid so to the extent that you can get a tax cut out of the way as a as part of the health bill those are taxes, taxes on investments, on insurance companies, on pharmaceutical companies, uh, on wages of high-income people that you don't have to deal with in in the bigger tax bill. You sort of taken, you've gotten a tax cut done, and you've taken those issues off the table. You you could have tried to keep those siloed during a tax debate uh, if you hadn't gotten healthcare done. Uh, but that's hard because those issues have, you know, small businesses care about them and medical device companies care about them. And they're going to say, wait a minute, if you're doing a big tax bill and you're not dealing with these health taxes, like that's not fair. Um, so so it helps in those two respects. Hey, you know, sort of along those lines, and it might be too early to ask this question. I don't really know, but I, and you might not even know the answer to it, but I'm going to ask it because it interests me. It, it, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody. Is there any sort of sense yet about this bill's prospects in Congress. Is there any sort of being any kind of reaction? I mean, from one side or the other or both sides, you know, what's kind of been the, the general takedown there in DC on this? So I, I think, look, my motto is tax reform is hard. So tax reform is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I think this may help give some momentum to it in the sense that now the House and the Senate have sort of reaffirmed the idea of where the president wants to go, and you'll start seeing some action in the House. But it, it's going to take some time, I, I think, is the best way to think about the prospects on the Republican side. They're, you know, they've got members who are nervous about a bunch of things. You know, uh, blue state Republicans are worried about the state and local tax deduction. Representatives who are, you know, represent retailers are concerned about the border adjustment. There's interest deduction repeal has a bunch of real estate companies really upset. So they're going to have to work through that on the Republican side, and the Senate is not as far along as the House. Uh, on the Democratic side, look, I think what this outline does is uh, alienates a lot of Democrats. There's very little in there for them to like or to give them a reason to, to play ball. Um, you know, you look at repealing the estate tax, lowering the top individual rates, right? Getting rid of silence, getting rid of the yeah. AMT, not so much. AMT, yeah. I mean. As long as you're, popular. yes, yeah, well, no one, no one likes it does the raise money. Yeah, no, yeah, that's true, but no one really likes it. Right. Yeah. Um, you you might want to be careful not to reopen loopholes that the AMT closed. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's not right, the right. same thing as like being opposed to AMT repeal. Yeah. Uh, but for Democrats, it's like, look, there's the plan is silent on what happens to the personal exemption, which is, you know, $4,000 subtraction per person. It's silent on head of household filing status. It's the child care and child tax credit breaks that they care about a lot or not clearly dealt with. Hmm. So there's a bunch of stuff in there where they're like really the, the plan and the outline are really specific on things that Republicans care about. And it's really vague on things that, that might have brought Democrats to the table. And so so right now, if you're the Democrats are basically just, you know, got the, you know, flamethrowers out of this thing right now. 
All right. Richard Rubin, Wall Street Journal reporter in D.C., whose motto is tax reform is hard. Yep. Hashtag T-R-I-H. <laughs> uh, Richard, thanks. I know you're really busy this week, so we appreciate your time. Yep. Happy to do it. And everybody, thank you for listening, and we will catch up with you soon. Follow The Wall Street Journal on your favorite podcast app. Search WSJ on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and any Amazon Alexa device. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.